0: My name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. I think many of you know that throughout this year of 2022, I committed to a daily devotion of reading The Mystical City of God in a year. It's a 2,600-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. I even went to Agreda, Spain earlier this year, prayed before her tomb, spoke with some religious sisters at the monastery in Spain, and learned more about Maria of Agreda. As the year comes to a close, one of the readings really struck me, and I thought that it would be opportune to be able to share it with all of you today. It was about how Mary celebrates the Incarnation and the Nativity of Jesus. I particularly liked the distinction of incarnation and nativity, the incarnation being Jesus's conception, the nativity being Christmas. And so in this reading and in the readings that preceded it and the readings after it, it basically detailed how Mary celebrated different events of Jesus's life and how she celebrated them with the Lord, with the angels, with the saints. Whether or not these are the things that literally took place, I don't know the answer, but what I can tell you is that Maria of Agreda wrote them in the mystical city of God and was inspired by the Holy Spirit or interiorly received it in prayer. And so today I want to share with you these readings from the mystical city of God. The readings you will hear come from volume four, book eight, chapter 14, chapter 14, Paragraphs 642 to 661. What you will hear is a continuous reading of all of those paragraphs. And then afterwards, in the daily episodes, I provide a commentary. So I have pieced the two commentaries together. So it might seem abrupt when I begin reflecting on the commentary for the second day. Because these were days number 349 and 350 in the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. Now, you might be interested in listening to the Mystical City of God. You can go to that podcast and you can re-listen to all of the episodes, but also this next year, I will be re-releasing the episodes every day once again for a new audience that will be joining. And so, if you'd like to learn more about the Mystical City of God, I'd encourage you to go over to your podcast service and search for it and subscribe. Yes, you'll get the episodes for the last few days of this year, but then when January 1st comes around, if that's something you're interested in, you'll be able then to listen every day as they're delivered to your podcast app. I hope you enjoy today's readings and that you will be inspired by the celebration of Mary her celebration of Christ's Incarnation and his Nativity, because in just a few days, we'll be celebrating his Nativity as a church on Christmas Day. Chapter 14. The wonderful manner in which the Most Blessed Mary celebrated the mysteries of the Incarnation and Nativity of the God-Man, and how she gave thanks for these immense blessings. 642. As the Most Holy Mary was so faithful in smaller things, there can be no doubt that she was faithful in the greater. If she was solicitous and diligent in giving thanks for the minor blessings, certainly she would render the full measure of thanks for the more important benefits conferred by the Most High upon her and the whole human race. Among these, the incarnation of the Eternal Word in the womb of the Most Blessed and Pure Mother takes the first place. For this was the most excellent work and the greatest grace possible, to God's infinite power and wisdom in his dealings with men. The joining of the divine essence with the human being and the person of the word through hypostatic union was the beginning of all the gifts and blessings of the omnipotent conferred upon the human as well as upon the angelic nature. This truth is more intelligible when we take into consideration what faith teaches, that the divine wisdom foresaw in eternity the ingratitude of the reprobate and their abuse and waste of the wonderful blessings of the incarnation of the true God, by which he became the teacher, redeemer, and model of all the mortals. 643. Hence the infinite wisdom marvelously provided that among men there should be someone who could compensate this injustice, and by worthy thanksgiving be the means of placating and satisfying him as far as is possible on the part of human nature." This was done in the first place by the sacred humanity of our Redeemer and Master, Jesus, who is our mediator with the Eternal Father, reconciling to Him the whole human race, 1 Timothy 2.5, satisfying for its shortcomings and paying its debts by the superabundance of His merits. However, as the Lord was true God and man, human nature apparently remained a debtor to Him unless someone, among mere creatures, could repay the Redeemer in as far as with the divine grace it was possible to man. This return was made by his own mother and our queen, since she alone was the secretary of the great council and the archive of his mysteries and sacraments. She was the only one who knew, weighed, and thankfully acknowledged it in the measure to be expected from a human being, not united personally with the divinity. She alone supplied a recompense for all the shortcomings and imperfections and for the total want of gratitude in the children of Adam. She alone knew how and was able to appease and satisfy her divine Son for the unjust behavior of all the mortals in not having received him as the Redeemer and Master, as the true God-made man for the salvation of all. 644. The incomprehensible and sacred mystery of the Incarnation the Great Queen kept so constantly present in her memory that she never forgot it, even for an instant. At the same time, she was ever conscious of the ignorance of this blessing in so many of the children of Adam. And in order to give thanks for it in her own name and in the name of all, she practiced many genuflections, prostrations, and other acts of adoration, repeating continuously in diverse variations the following prayer. My Lord and Highest God, in the royal presence I prostrate myself and present myself before thee in my own name, and in that of the human race, I bless and magnify thee, I confess and adore thee in the mystery of the hypostatic union." of the human and divine nature of the eternal word if the unfortunate children of adam are ignorant of this blessing and if those that know of it fail in giving worthy thanks for it remember our kindest lord and father that they live in the weak flesh so full of darkness and passions and that they cannot come to thee if thou in thy loving condescension dost not draw them on john 6:44 pardon my god the shortcomings of their weak nature and condition I, thy slave and vile wormlet of the earth, with all the courtiers of thy glory, give thee thanks for myself and for each one of the mortals in acknowledgment of this blessing. And I beseech thee, O my Son and Lord, from the bottom of my soul, to take up this cause of thy brethren, and obtain for them the forgiveness of thy eternal Father. Favor with thy immense clemency those unfortunates conceived in sin, who do not recognize their own misfortune, and do not know what they are doing, nor what they should do. I beg for thy people and for thy own. For as far as thou art man, we are all of thy nature, which do not thou despise. And in as far as thou art God, thou give us infinite value to thy works. Let them be the worthy return and thanksgiving for satisfying our debt, since thou alone canst pay what we have received and what we owe to the Eternal Father for sending thee from heaven to earth as the Savior of the poor and the rescuer of captives. Luke 4.18, Give life to the dead, enrich the poor, enlighten the blind. Matthew 11.15, Thou art our salvation, our happiness, and our restoration. 6.45, This prayer and others like it were of ordinary occurrence in the life of the great Queen of the world. But to her continuous and daily thanksgiving, she added other exercises to celebrate the exalted mystery of the Incarnation especially on the anniversary of the days in which the divine word assumed flesh in her purest womb. And on these days she was more favored by the Lord than on others. This feast for her lasted not only for one day, but for nine, comprising the nine days before the Feast of the Annunciation or the 25th of March, during which she prepared herself for this sacrament as described in the beginning of the second part of this history. I have there recorded in nine chapters the marvels which preceded the Incarnation, and by which the Heavenly Mother was to be worthily prepared for the conception of the Incarnate Word in her sacred and virginal womb. It is necessary here to refer to them, and recall them briefly, in order to describe the manner in which she celebrated and renewed her thanksgiving for this highest of marvels and blessings. 646. She commenced the solemnity of the 16th of March in the evening, and during the next nine days until the 25th of March she remained in retirement without eating or sleeping. St. John the Evangelist was the only one who came to her, and only in order to minister to her Holy Communion during the nine days. The Almighty renewed all the favors and blessings which he had conferred upon Mary during those days immediately preceding the Incarnation. With this difference, however, that her Son and our Redeemer now added new ones, for as he was already born of her, he took it upon himself to assist, regale, and favor his most loving and worthy mother in this feast." On the first six days of this novena, after the Blessed Mother had passed some hours of the night in her accustomed exercises, the Incarnate Word descended from heaven, refulgent in glory and majesty, and accompanied by myriads of angels, and with them he entered the Oratory and showed himself to his Most Blessed Mother. Six forty seven. The most pious and prudent Mother adored her Son and true God with the humility, veneration, and worship such as she alone in her wisdom knew how to render. Then, by the ministry of the holy angels, she was raised from the earth and placed on the throne at the right hand of her Son, the Lord. There she felt within herself an intimate and ineffable union with the humanity and divinity, by which she was transformed and filled with glory and new divine influences unspeakable to man. In this condition and state the Lord renewed in her the marvels of the nine days before the Incarnation, in order in which they had then occurred, And to these he added other favors and admirable effects conformable to the state attained since then both by himself and his Blessed Mother. Although the habitual science of all things was already preserved in her, yet on such occasions her knowledge was enhanced by a new intelligence and divine light, which enabled her to apply and exercise her knowledge with greater insight and with more powerful effect. 648. On the first of these nine days were shown her all the works performed by God on the first day of the creation of the world, the order and mode of their creation, the heaven and the earth, and the abysses with their length, breadth, and depth, the light and darkness, their separation, and all the conditions, changes, and qualities of these material and visible things. Of the invisible things she saw the creation of the angels, all their species and perfections, their perseverance and grace, the strife between the obedient and the disobedient, the fall of the apostates and the confirmation of the others in grace, and all the other mysteries which Moses includes in the works of the first day. Genesis one. She recognized likewise the intentions of the Almighty in the creation of these and other things, namely to communicate and to manifest His divinity, so that all these angels and men, according to their faculties, might know and praise Him in them. Unless the renewal of this knowledge be fruitless in the most prudent mother, her divine son said to her, My mother and my dove, I gave thee knowledge of all these works of my infinite power, in order to manifest to thee my greatness before assuming flesh in thy virginal womb. And I renew it in thee now, in order to confirm in thee thy possession and dominion over the angels, the heavens, the earth, the light, and the darkness, all of which shall serve and obey thee as my mother. And in order to afford thee an occasion worthily to thank, and praise the Eternal Father for the blessings of creation, which men do not know how to appreciate. 6.49 The great queen faithfully responded to this will of the Lord, and satisfied for the indebtedness of mankind in its entirety, giving thanks in her own name and in that of all men for these incomparable blessings. In these exercises, and in other mysterious ones, she passed the day until the Lord returned to heaven. On the second day at midnight, the Lord again descended in the same manner, and recalled in the Heavenly Mother the knowledge of the works of the second day of creation, how in the midst of the waters was formed the firmament dividing the one from the other, the number of the heavens, their harmonious arrangement, nature and qualities, their greatness and beauty. All this she knew with infallible certainty, just as they came into being without admixture of mere opinions. She knew also... What were the views of the learned and of authors? On the third day was refreshing in her the knowledge of what is indicated in the scriptures for the third day of creation that the Lord congregated the waters upon the earth and formed the sea and the dry land, and how the dry land upon the command of its creator immediately produced plants, herbs, trees, and other things for its beauty and adornment. She knew the nature and qualities of all these plants and the manner in which they are useful or hurtful to man." On the fourth day, she recognized particularly the formation of the sun, the moon, and the stars of heaven, their material, their form, properties, influences, and all their movements, dividing the time into seasons, days, and years. Genesis one fourteen. On the fifth day was manifested to her the creation and the generation of the birds of the air, of the fishes of the sea, how in the beginning they were formed of the waters and how these animals afterwards were reproduced and propagated, how many were the species the conditions and faculties of the animals of the land and the sea. On the sixth day she received new enlightenment and insight into the creation of man and the terminus of all the material creatures, and an understanding of its exquisite and harmonious nature as a recapitulation of all the rest of the world to the creatures. She comprehended also the mystery of the Incarnation, which was the end and purpose of His creation, and she possessed the other secrets of the divine wisdom hidden in this and the other works testifying to his infinite greatness and majesty. 6.50 On each of these days, the great queen composed a special hymn of praise to the Creator, for the works performed in the corresponding day of creation, for the mysteries made known to her. Then she prayed for all men, especially for the faithful, asking for their reconciliation to God and their enlightenment concerning the divinity and his works, in order that they might thereby be helped to know, love, and praise the Almighty. And as she was aware of the ignorance of so many unbelievers who had not come to the knowledge and belief of the true faith, and as she considered the ingratitude and sluggishness of so many believers who knew of these works of the Most High, the Most Blessed Mother performed heroic and admirable works in compensation for these defects of the children of Adam. Because she so faithfully responded, her divine Son raised her to a new participation in the gifts of His divinity and attributes, "'accumulating upon her all that the rest of mortals lost by their most ungrateful forgetfulness. "'Over all the works of that day he confirmed upon her anew, full possession and dominion, "'in order that all might acknowledge her and serve her as the mother of their creator, "'as the supreme queen over all the creatures in heaven and on earth.'" 651. "'On the seventh day these divine favors were still further increased and enhanced, "'although her divine son did not descend from heaven in the last three days.'" But instead, she herself was raised up to him in correspondence with what had happened on the three days before the Incarnation. Accordingly, at midnight, at the command of the Most High Lord, the angels carried her up to the Empyrean Heaven, where, while she was adoring the immutable being of God, the Supreme Seraphim clothed her in a vestment more pure and white than the snow and more refulgent than the sun. They girded her with a girdle of jewels, so rich and beautiful, that there are none in nature for comparison." Each one shone more brilliantly than the globe of the sun, yea, of many suns combined. Then they added bracelets and necklaces and other adornments befitting her, whom they adored. And all these adornments, the seraphim, brought from the throne of the most blessed trinity, each of them in its own way, signifying a new participation and communication of the divinity. And not only these adornments signified a new participation and communication of the divine perfections in their queen, but also the seraphim. Those six that adored her likewise represented mysteries contained in their ministry. 6.52 To these succeeded six other seraphim who in another manner adorned the queen as it were, retouching her faculties and giving them subtlety, beauty, and grace, unspeakable in human words. And still other six seraphim furnished the celestial light by which her understanding and will was made capable of the beatific vision and fruition." Having thus adorned and beautified the great queen, all of the eighteen seraphim raised her to the throne of the most blessed trinity and placed her at the right hand of the only begotten, our Savior. There she was asked, what was her petition and desire? And the true Esther answered, I ask for my people, O Lord, Esther 7.3, and in their name and mine I desire and long to thank thy almighty clemency for giving human form to the eternal word in my womb for their salvation. To these petitions and prayers she added others of incomparable love and wisdom, supplicating for the whole human race, and especially for the Holy Church. 653. Then her divine Son spoke to the Eternal Father and said, I confess and praise thee, my Father, and I offer to thee this creature, the daughter of Adam, pleasing in thy eyes, as the one chosen for my mother, from all the creatures and as a testimony to our infinite attributes. She alone knows worthily and fully to estimate, and thankfully to acknowledge the favor I have shown to men, investing myself in their nature for the purpose of teaching them the way of eternal life and saving them from death. We have chosen her in order that she might appease our indignation at the ingratitude and small return we receive from mortals. She makes up for what the others are either unable or unwilling to give, and we cannot despise the prayers which our beloved offers for them, In the plenitude of her holiness, and entirely to our pleasure, 654. All these marvels were repeated on each of the last three days of the Novena. And on the last, which was the 25th of March, at the hour of the Incarnation, the divinity manifested itself to her intuitively, and with a greater glory than to all the blessed. The saints received an addition to their accidental joy on all those days, But the last was one of greater festivity and of extraordinary jubilee, for the whole of Jerusalem triumphant. The favors received by the Most Blessed Mother on that day far exceeded all human thought, for all her privileges, graces, and gifts were on that day ratified and increased by the Almighty in an ineffable manner. As she was still a pilgrim and knew all the conditions of the Holy Church in the present and the future ages, she asked and merited great blessings for all times. To say it more briefly, She obtained all the blessings which the divine power wrought for men from the beginning, and shall work unto the end of the world. 655. On all these feasts, celebrated by the great queen, she obtained the conversion of innumerable souls, which at that time, and at succeeding times, were to come to the Catholic faith. On this feast of the Incarnation, however, this privilege was made still more extensive. For on these days, she merited for many kingdoms, provinces and nations the blessings and favors they have received in being called to the holy church those that having preserved more faithfully in the church are so more the greater debtors to the petitions and merits of the heavenly mother but it has especially been shown me that on the day on which she celebrated the incarnation she liberated all the souls from purgatory and that from heaven where this favor was granted to the queen of all creation and the mother of the redeemer She sent the angels to bring them to her in order that she might offer them as the fruit of the Incarnation to the Eternal Father. For in that mystery he had sent his only begotten Son to regain for him the souls from the tyranny of their enemies. For all these souls Mary composed new canticles of praise. In the jubilee of having thus augmented the heavenly court of heaven, she returned to the earth where she continued her thanksgiving with her accustomed humility. This miracle is not at all incredible. For it is not strange that on the day on which the Most Holy Mary was raised to the immense dignity of the Mother of God and Mistress of all creation, all the treasures of the divinity should be opened to the children of Adam, her brethren, and her children. For on that same day the divinity itself was poured out on her, entering her womb and uniting itself hypostatically with the substance derived from her. She alone in her wisdom could worthily appreciate this blessing special to her And the common good of all. 656. The solemnity of the birth of Christ, her Son, she celebrates in still another manner. On the evening before she commenced with the exercises, hymns, and other devotions for the other feasts, and at the hour of the birth, her divine Son descended with myriads of angels and in glorious majesty, as on other occasions. He was accompanied also by the patriarchs, Saint Joachim and Saint Anne, Saint Joseph and Saint Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, as well as the other saints. Then the angel at the command of the Lord raised her from the ground and placed her at his divine right hand amid celestial harmony, rehearsing the hymn of glory as on the day of the nativity, and other canticles which the lady herself had composed in honor of this mystery and in praise of God's infinite perfections. After having united with them in these praises for a long time, the heavenly mother, with the permission of her son, descended from the throne and prostrated herself anew at his feet. In this posture, she adored him in the name of the human race and thanked him for his having been born in the world for their salvation. In addition to this thanksgiving, she prayed most fervently for all men, especially for the children of the church, urging the weakness of human nature, its need of grace and divine help for raising itself and for meriting eternal life. As an argument, she alleged the mercy of the Lord in being born for their salvation, the poverty of his birth, the labors and hardships it entailed, how he was nursed at her breast and cherished by her as his mother, and how many were the other works connected with these mysteries. This prayer was accepted by her son, our Saviour, and in the presence of all the angels and saints that accompanied him, he acknowledged his obligation to listen to the charitable pleadings of his most blessed mother for her people. Again, he confirmed her as the mistress and dispenser of all his treasure of grace, and commissioned her to apply and distribute them to men, according to her pleasure. This, the most prudent lady, proceeded to do with admirable wisdom and to the immense benefit of the church. At the close of this solemnity of the birth of Christ, she begged all the saints to praise the Lord for the mystery of his birth in her name and for all the other mortals. She then asked the blessing of her divine Son, which in giving it returned to heaven. Instruction which the great lady of the angels, most holy Mary, gave me. 6.57 My daughter and disciple, I desire that the admiration and writing of these mysteries of my life and holiness induce thee to praise the omnipotent for his liberality toward me, and thy confidence in my powerful intercession and protection should raise thee above thyself. But if thou art astonished that my divine Son should thus add grace upon grace and gifts upon gifts, and that he should visit me so frequently and raise me to his presence in heaven. Remember what thou hast already recorded concerning my depriving myself of the beatific vision for the sake of the governing of the church. And even if this charity had not merited this recompense during my mortal life, he was ready on account of my being his mother, and he my son, to work such wonders with me as are beyond created thought, and were due to no other creature." The dignity of mother of God so far exceeds the sphere of all the other creatures that it would be base ignorance on the part of men to deny me favors greater than those bestowed upon other saints. Taking human flesh of my substance carried with it such an obligation in the internal word that according to thy mode of understanding God himself could not meet it without a return adequate to his omnipotence and corresponding fully to my capacity of receiving. This power of God is infinite and inexhaustible and will always remain so, but that which God communicates is finite and limited. I too am a mere created being, and in comparison with the being of God, all created beings are nothing. 658. In addition to this, on my part, I placed no obstacle, but deserved the unlimited and unrestrained liberality of the omnipotent in all his gifts, graces, and favors, as far as they could be communicated to a creature. As these, notwithstanding their wonderful greatness, were always finite, and the power and essence of God is always infinite and without limit, it can easily be understood how I could accumulate grace upon grace, and blessings upon blessings. And not only was I capable of thus receiving, but it was equitable that I should thus receive in order that I might correspond with entire perfection, to his marvelous work of making me the mother of God, for none of his works remain imperfect or defective." Since this dignity of being made the mother of God contains all graces, as in their origin and font, therefore, as soon as men know me to be the mother of God, they implicitly also know, as in their cause, the perfections due to such excellence and dignity. It was left to the devotion, piety, and goodwill of the faithful, to earn the regard of my divine Son and my protection, by searching properly into my holiness and gifts, and by recording and confessing them in evidence of their devotion and my dignity." For this purpose, special knowledge and enlightenment has been given to many saints, to authors and writers, besides special revelations to others concerning some favors and privileges conceded to me by the Almighty. 6.59 As nevertheless many of the mortals, even the zealous ones, have been timid in this matter, and others in their want of piety unduly sluggish, my divine Son has, in his fatherly condescension, at the time most opportune for his holy church, Manifested to them these hidden mysteries, without depending upon human insight and knowledge, but upon the enlightenment of his own truth, in order that they might gather new joy and hope from the knowledge of my privileges, and give to thee almighty new glory and praise for the blessings coming from me, and from the works of the redemption. 660. I wish, my daughter, that thou consider thyself more under this obligation than all the rest of men, since I have chosen thee for my special disciple and daughter in order that by writing of my life thy heart may be raised to a more ardent and anxious desire to imitate and follow me. The lesson of this chapter for thee should be that thou follow me in the ineffable thanksgiving, for the blessed mystery of the incarnation of the word in my womb. Write in my heart this marvel of the omnipotent, in order never to forget it and signalize especially the days corresponding to the mysteries which thou hast there described. In them and in my name I desire that thou celebrate this festivity with great fervor and joy of soul, thanking God in the name of all mortals for his having become incarnate in me for their salvation and also praising him for having raised me to the dignity of being his mother. And remember that nothing ever caused so much astonishment in the saints and angels who have a knowledge of the infinite essence of God than to see him united to the human nature and although they continue to understand more and more of the mystery, there will always remain more to find out through all the ages. 6.61 In order that thou mayest properly renew and celebrate these benefits of the incarnation and nativity of my divine Son, thou must try to acquire humility and purity as of an angel. For by these virtues thy thanksgiving will be pleasing to the Lord, and by them thou wilt in a measure give some return for his having made himself of thy nature. Ponder deeply how heavy are the sins of men, who, while having Christ as their brother, fall from such excellence and neglect their obligations. Consider thyself as a portrait or image of the God-man, and that any kind of sin is equivalent to thy despising it and blotting it out of thy soul. This new dignity to which human nature was raised is much forgotten by the children of Adam, and they refuse to forsake their old habits and miseries in order to put on Christ. Romans 13:14. But thou, my daughter, forget the house of thy father and thy people, Psalm forty-four, eleven, and seek to renew thyself with the beauty of thy Saviour, in order that thou mayest be pleasing in the eyes of the supreme King. This concludes our reading today. Our first part of our reading today dealt with the celebration of Mary, regarding the incarnation of the Lord, and then the second will deal with the nativity of the God-Man. So notice the distinction with these two words: the incarnation is God becoming man in the womb of Mary. So that's the Annunciation. So what we heard today was Mary's celebration of March 25th. So we should be hearing tomorrow uh, about how she celebrated the Nativity and how fitting that we're just a few days before Christmas. And to see how Mary would have celebrated Christmas, I'm very much looking forward to tomorrow's reading. But one of the ways that she prepared was that she prayed for us. She prayed that we might be grateful for the gift of the incarnation. She asked God to pardon the shortcomings of our weak nature and condition. And so Mary always has in view others. She always has in view all of us already praying for us back when she was still on this earth. And we know that she is still praying for us from her place before the throne of God. One of the things we heard about her celebrations of the incarnation was this nine day novena and the first days of the novena focused on the creation of the world. Now, for people who are naturalists, for people who love, uh, you know, plant based things, I think you might delight in this. She knew the nature and qualities of all these plants and the manner in which they are useful or hurtful to man. So Mary knows the herbs. She knows all of these things, just as some people today know how to make use of these plants for medicinal purposes and for healing. And finally, in our reading today, in paragraph 650, it begins saying, On each of these days, the great queen composed a special hymn of praise to the creator for the works performed on the corresponding day of creation for the mysteries made known to her. And that's a phrase that we've heard quite a bit over the last four volumes, Mary composing hymns of thankfulness and praise. And I just thought to myself, it would be so beautiful if we would have had the hymn book of Our Lady, all of these hymns that she wrote, all of these songs of praise of God for creation and for the incarnation, for the life of Jesus. But alas, to my knowledge, we don't have that. But what a gift that would have been to be able to sing those words that she herself sang. But for us, we can do that every time we pray the Magnificat, when we say, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you. I think one of the great things that we could do in our reading of the Bible is probably, as we heard today in our reading about Mary being the true Esther, would be today to go find our Bible and read the book of Esther. It's one that I have to re-familiarize myself with, but we know that in Esther, she intercedes, she prays. And so Mary, as the true Esther, answered, I ask mercy for my people, O Lord. And in their name and in mine, I desire and long to thank Thy almighty clemency for giving human form to the eternal word in my womb for their salvation. I think this is an area that is of great interest. Uh, again, going to the Old Testament and seeing Mary and some of these prototypes of, in these figures, right? I also uh, know that in 2023, the Sight and Sound Theater in Branson, Missouri, will be doing a show on Queen Esther. And so if you wanna see it really lived out on the stage, might be something of interest to go see. As a member and as the president currently of the Mariological Society of America, we are exploring having a speaker about Queen Esther and Mary in the upcoming year. So this is something that just fascinates me, and seeing it here in Maria of Agreda, it makes me even more interested. Mary obtains conversion of sinners. We know that from the champion apparition. She says, I pray for the conversion of sinners. We know that from the Borang apparition. She says, I will convert sinners. So kind of a very declarative statement. On all these feasts celebrated by the great queen, she obtained the conversion of innumerable souls, which at that time and at succeeding times were to come to the Catholic faith. So on these special feast days, the incarnation, the day of Christ's nativity, Mary obtains conversion, hearts are changed, God is glorified. We even heard that she liberated all the souls from purgatory, and that from heaven where this favor was granted to the queen of all creation and the mother of the redeemer. She sent the angels to bring them to her in order that she might offer them as the fruit of the incarnation to the eternal father. It's always a good thing to pray for our dead, and to hear Maria of referring to this doctrine of purgatory and Mary's role in liberating souls and I think we can rest assured that on major feast days that Our Lady truly does obtain that from Her Divine Son. And then when it comes to the solemnity of the birth of Christ and Mary celebrating it, it says that on the evening before she commenced with the exercises, hymns, and other devotions as for the other feasts, and at the hour of the birth, Her Divine Son descended with myriads of angels and in glorious majesty as on other occasions. He was accompanied by the patriarch St. Joachim, St. Anne, St. Joseph, St. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, as well as other saints. And I was really intrigued by that notion of other saints, because the emergence of saints really hasn't come yet at the point where Mary would be having this experience at the end of her life, of course, The Apostle James, who we heard already has been martyred, he would be a saint. But who are those other saints? Are they the the individuals of the Old Testament? Are they people who have died since Christ ascended into heaven? That was a curiosity of mine. But this is what happens then. In this posture, she adored him in the name of all the human race and thanked him for having been born into the world for their salvation." Just as on that first Christmas morning, she adored the face of God. She adores God once again for what he has done and bringing her needs, bringing her petitions for the sake of the world before Christ on the day of his nativity. So it's a special day for us to pray for petitions to really bring them to the crib. At the close of this solemnity of the birth of Christ, she begged all the saints to praise the Lord for the mystery of his birth in her name and for all the other mortals. As she begged the saints in heaven to do that, why don't we do that here on earth as we come up to the Feast of the Nativity? Let us thank God for sending his Son to be born, to be the Word made flesh, to be our Savior and Redeemer. We also heard today that the role of Mary as the mother of God contains all graces as in their origin and font. Therefore, as soon as men know me to be the mother of God, they implicitly also know, as in their cause, the perfections due to such excellence and dignity. So, again, Mary's importance is her role in salvation history. Because she is the mother of God, she is the Immaculate Conception. And so God has given her these prevenient graces. And then in her maternity, God is giving her grace. And that grace continues to overflow to all of us. The graces which adorn her life we look to now, and we are inspired by, and we wish to attain them as well. Finally, Mary's encouragement in the instruction. In my name, I desire that thou celebrate this festivity with great fervor and joy of thy soul thanking God in the name of all mortals. Again, let's do that this Christmas. Let us thank God for the Incarnation in the name of people who are ungrateful, in the name of people who do not thank God, in the name of people who do not acknowledge the Incarnation. Let us thank God in their name and ask that God bring them to a point of knowing the truths of our faith. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of The Mystical City of God. God bless you, and Mary pray for you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show, and for all the many ways that you support the podcast. If you want to help out the podcast, be sure to check out Sock Religious. I love their socks. I love their shirts. And so go over to Sock Religious, use the link in the show notes, and buy some holy socks or some holy shirts that you can wear to evangelize your family and your friends. If you also want to support the podcast, I invite you to please share the podcast with your friends or on your social media platforms. Rate or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't mind, please follow me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. My handle is at Fr. Edward Looney. You'll see all of the posts, all of the content that I put out each week by following me there. Thanks so much again for listening today. Know that I am entrusting you to the heart of Mary, asking her to pray for you this day and every day. And if you don't mind, say a prayer for me too. Let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.